Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. This is the second hour of our broadcast. A shout-out to our listeners on K-Talk, 1640 AM in Salt Lake City, as well as uh, those of you picking up the podcast at your leisure. Just one of the advantages of our modern technology. All right, I have a serious question for you, and I want some input on this, so here's the phone number, 801-331-8113. You just heard in the newscast at the top of the hour, they were talking about uh, the church in Texas that survived a mass shooting, and they are continuing to hold church meetings. Forty people showed up for church. It sounds like they're going to be holding an Easter service as well. I'm hearing this about other churches as well throughout the country. Tell me where you stand on this. Is this the most irresponsible thing you've ever heard of? Is this an act of faith? Is this what uh, people should be doing after carefully considering the risks and, you know, taking appropriate steps to socially distance or perhaps, you know, wear masks or gloves or whatever they need to to limit the spread or potential spread, I should say, of coronavirus? 801-331-8113. I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not there yet. I, I can't can't quite get my mind around what brings out the witch hunter in people when individuals peacefully choose to assemble. And I mean, if you could explain it to me, it's possible that maybe I'm just missing something. Maybe I'm too ideologically wrapped up in it, but I fail to see where this is in any way. An aggressive, irresponsible, or just flat-out anti-human act for these churches to hold their services. So I'm willing to be set straight. If you can do it, please do. 801-331-8113. But see, here's my hang-up. This is the part that, that I'm I'm not able to get on board the bandwagon and sit there and denounce them as well. You know, these are the stupidest, most idiotic, blankety-blank people, which is, which is apparently where a lot of the witch hunters are directing their, their stream of thought. Well, the reason these people are doing it is because they're stupid and they're selfish and they just aren't as smart as the rest of us. They don't trust science enough. I've heard a few say that, too. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, short of talking to each of these people individually and and asking them, so why would you, you know, assume that risk? And I'm not shying away from the idea, of course there's risk. There's risk every time you go to the grocery store. There is risk every time you touch the gasoline pump to put fuel in your vehicle. There's risk when you walk down to the mailbox and pick up your mail. You don't know where that postal carrier has been. You don't know who they've been in contact with. But for some reason, the the grand inquisitor is coming out in people when someone says, I would like to attend a church service or a pastor says, I intend to hold a church service for all who wish to attend. Now, there's some words that are missing there that I, I think I feel I feel compelled to point out to you. The words that are missing is, you have to attend. Nobody's compelling anybody to come to these services. No one is being marched there at gunpoint. No one is being threatened or coerced in any way to 
put themselves at risk beyond what they're willing to to embrace. So why are people so angry? Why are they putting all the blame? Well, you know, if anybody else got sick anywhere in the world, it's their fault. If this is true, why isn't public transportation completely shut down? Why aren't the airports completely shut down? Why aren't your police and fire going out there in hazmat suits? I know some of them are wearing some interesting protective gear, but we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, in, in this crackdown on people not staying at home. San Diego County. Oh, my word. The, the sheriff there. I, I've never seen more equivocation and I mean pitiful equivocation of, well, you know, orders have been given and people have to obey these to the point where people just sitting in their cars separated from others. Other than whom they've been with, right? They're exposing no one. They're just sitting in their cars by the beach watching the sunset. And here come the police officers. Get out of your car. Give me your ID. Passing ID back and forth. These officers writing them tickets. Putting people at risk through unnecessary social contact so that they can squeeze a little more money out of them. On behalf of what? Who's the victim? I guess is is the more appropriate question. Sorry, I'm getting a I'm actually getting a little bit worked up about this. Holy cow. <laughs> but I want to come back to the churches that that are choosing to do this. I've not heard any of them or at least none of the the pastors or any of the attendees that I have seen quoted in the news, I have heard none of them say this is all just a hoax. This is just a common cold and nobody's going to get sick. They've all recognized that, no, there's, there's a legit pandemic going on, and we don't know what the scope of it is. But they're still well within the guidelines that uh, most people around the world are following, short of sealing themselves hermetically into a Tupperware container and hunkering down for the next few weeks. I guess I'm, I'm just not getting the hatred and the judgment and, and the, just that sense of moral superiority. And, and if I could just be so blunt, those of you who feel morally superior to those who choose to attend a church service by their own choice, I think you should probably get off your high horse. They're not forcing you to go. They're not impinging on your freedoms. If you can't show me the victim... Maybe it would be a better thing to mind your own business and focus on stuff that actually matters. All right. I've stuck my neck out. I'll now take my lumps. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Oh, I broke 50 miles an hour on 90th South yesterday chasing a South Jordan police officer who was clearly speeding. (laughs) They bust people for that every... He has qualified immunity against germs. And the, you know, everything else in the court system, which is why they don't care if they take your license and hand it back and forth. And this is just police state grooming. It's for us, not them. Yeah, I'm kind of getting the impression that this ain't really about public safety. I mean, they had two boats chasing a lone paddle border around there in, in Malibu. Uh, why, you know, to, to herd him to shore where he could be cuffed and stuffed and put into jail in close proximity with a lot of people. Why? Well, because he was in danger of spreading coronavirus. Okay, well, congratulations, you know. You pretty much mm-hmm. guaranteed he'll get it now. 
Well, that, that cop in Texas, that cop has it. And unfortunately, it hasn't taken any of these guys out. But they, they Dallas, there's every contact they have, you know, cop on your license, cop on his license, cop on his slave papers. And 200 police officers in New York have it. And most of them, I think only one went to the hospital. It's unfortunate. I'm sure Eric Garner's up there and, uh, you know, on the other side, you know, feeling sorry for these tools yeah well and and i jared i feel compelled to point out not every police officer agrees with this there are some whose agencies wisely have said don't go initiating unnecessary contact don't pull somebody over unless you absolutely have to you know like they're driving 50 miles an hour down 90th i'm sorry that maybe not that but if if there's something that that legitimately requires (laughs) you know your your attention or intervention okay but otherwise they're telling them even don't arrest people Unless you absolutely have to. It's it's places like California and where was it? Brighton, Colorado. A guy got arrested for playing T-ball with his six-year-old daughter and his wife at a park. And the reason mm-hmm. first first he was surrounded by three officers who said, show us some ID. This park is closed. They didn't see the fine print on the sign which said this park is closed to groups of four or more. So he well, was within his expect- rights. They're not hired for their brains or their human charity. Now, that's fine if, if other departments are doing the responsible thing, but I would love to see some blue-on-blue blue shaming. But you never see that. They all belong to the same union. You'll attack another blue-line gang in another state or county saying, you guys are losers. We do it this way. You should do it our way. We're actually helping our neighbors. You're just, you're just criminals. You'll never see that. Not yet. I haven't seen it yet. Well, it's it's drawing out, uh, I think, the very worst of authoritarianism. And unfortunately, uh, the, the tip of the spear of authority is, uh, you know, often found in, in many police officers. But not all. No, but not all. But we still have, we still, and they're part of the government. We're part of the government. We have government by the consent of the government. If, if, if master says go in your house and stay there and you don't even back talk... Well, you're the problem. Wow. Well said, then. Jared, thanks for your call. I've got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this dad arrested in Brighton, Colorado. He did sit in the back of a police car for about 10 minutes, and then they finally took the handcuffs off and let him go. Was that really necessary? How do you like your first taste of what a police state is like, even if it's a soft one? Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty, 801-331-8113. I just want to make clear, there's a very distinct possibility that I am as wrong as can be in standing up for these these churches and these pastors who want to continue to, uh, to let those church members who want to show up and meet with them, meet with them. And, and yeah, I guess I, I can just go ahead and confess. This is just between you and me, right? Okay, don't let this go any further, but I'm not hopping on the fear train. And that doesn't mean I'm denying that coronavirus or COVID-19 is, is uh, you know, a, a bad thing. I think it, uh, it bears using caution. But I don't get the irrational, and I mean 
foaming at the mouth, spittle-flinging fear that this is working some people into. The kind where they would be absolutely okay with government using its force, which, you know, at the far end of the spectrum is kill you dead because you didn't do what we said, against people who have harmed no one. I have a very serious problem with that. And I don't believe, at least at this point, we can point to the kind of uh, bodies stacked up like cordwood, as my friend Eric Peters says, that would justify, oh my gosh, people are dropping like flies. There are certainly risks, and, and those who are in higher risk categories, myself included, should do what we can to mitigate those risks. But I'm not to the point where I'm ready to just throw my hands in the air and, and say, you know, succumb to the fear and say we should just give up, hunker down and hide in the shadows, you know, in a puddle of our own urine because we're so frightened that I might get sick or somebody else might get sick. I think we've been whipped into a false state of fear, an exaggerated state of fear. And I'll take I have a bone to pick with with media and the way that uh, that they are feeding those fears. I'll get to that in a few minutes. Let's go to the phone. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Right. Right. Hello there. Don't you know? Hello, hello. Yeah, go ahead. Don't you know that you know all of these people who are telling us to just stay at home and be afraid, they're just looking out for our best interests. <laughs> Because that's what government does. It cares about us and looks out for our interests. No, I, I'm with you. <laughs> oh, and uh, now don't don't you know that you know all the all the news media they're so committed to telling us what's actually going on that you know we we can trust them. Yes, we can trust them. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, it sounds, I, it sounds sorry, to me like I, you're, you're seeing through the smoke screen, obviously. It, it, I, I apologize if I broke anyone's sarcasm meter. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the thing that kills me is, you know, it, when the people say, you know, oh, we need to all be terrified and run around like chickens with our heads cut off, you know, because science, the actual scientists are saying... We have no idea how many people are actually infected. And so all of the numbers that we're seeing are at best a wild guess and almost certainly tremendously inflated as far as the, the actual risk of being seriously ill goes. Yeah. And... You know, I, I don't think, think people, I, I've, you know, I think uh, the Utah House is actually putting pressure on Governor Herbert to issue a uh, shelter-in-place order, and uh, I believe similar pressure is being applied nationwide. I don't think people realize how much more harm that will do than if every person in the country was infected and there was a 3% death rate. Agreed. Yet yeah, the, the, long I mean, the long-term unintended consequences are, are likely to be much worse than, than the worst-case projections, which they've been walking back pretty steadily now for the last 10 days or so. Oh, 
yeah, I mean, it, it's gone from 3% to 2%. Now I'm hearing less than 1% chance of actually dying from it. But it, it's just, I mean, that that's, as far as I understand, on par with a unusually bad flu season, which we've all lived through. Um, but, you know, and the, the idea that anyone has the moral authority to say, no, you can't go do that, and we will make you listen to us at the point of a gun right. is just insane. I mean, I'm with you there. And yet, and yet, I, I, who feeds who feeds this atmosphere of fear and this narrative of uh, of you know it's so terrible you know this is the worst thing ever. A lot of it's the media. Exactly. I mean, I had trust I mean, issues I, before with much of our heritage media, but I I'm getting to the point now where it's like, you guys, you need help. <laughs> Please get help. Yeah, it is. I don't think it's mere coincidence that, you know, they they reported in the biggest headlines they could find, you know, the the worst case scenario when when it was when that model was originally released and yet not only has there only been crickets, there's been exactly nothing in any of the major media saying, Oh, the people who made that model are are backtracking faster than if they'd seen a grizzly. But in the meantime, that uh, that heritage media is sitting there breaking its arm, patting itself on the back for, look how important we are. We're telling you how how deadly and frightening this thing is. I mean, look, look, um, I, I'll name names here. Um, KSL had a tweet that they put out uh, just within the last 24 hours or so about how, you know, the, the populace prepares for the saddest, most difficult week of their lives. Oh, my word. What they, on they've earth? Got no idea. <laughs> they, they've got no idea what the saddest week of just about anyone's life was like. And I'll, you know, <laughs> this, this is nothing yep. compared to... I, I can't even. I'm trying not to revert to truckeries to keep the FCC happy with you. But. Gotcha. No, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank, thank you for weighing in, though. I, I really do appreciate it. You are a voice of reason, my friend. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Okay. Be safe out there. <clears throat> Look, I'm not saying the news media needs to do all fluff and warmth and, you know, hey, let's just let's pretend that everything is sunshine and roses. I do appreciate when they highlight people like the truckers and the store clerks and the medical personnel who are working like crazy to address the unique circumstances that have arisen as a part of this pandemic. But I have to say I am I'm disgusted at the attempts to just play on fear and play on emotions. And, oh, you know, it's like the the information I shared yesterday in that James Corbett article about, uh, you know, a 91 year old person has died of complications and they had coronavirus. So coronavirus didn't kill them, but they died with it, not necessarily of it. But that constitutes a major news story. What? A 91 year old person died with coronavirus. Oh, my word. 
That's not news. That's sensationalization. That is fear-mongering. That's trying to pluck at the public's heartstrings. And, and of course, that love affair with authority, that, that contact high that much of the heritage media gets off of, you know, brushing up against authority, it's just it's too much for them to resist. And so when, when you have little petty dictators at the city or county level or the state level flexing for all their worth to remind us why we need them, well, they know they can count on their friends in the media to, to back them up. Oh, you should listen. You should listen. Wag those fingers. Cluck your tongue. Shake your heads in dismay that people would dare live in something other than abject fear. I'm not telling you not to be careful. I'm just saying be skeptical. At least be skeptical. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. And we are back. This is Loving Liberty. By the way, if you want to sound off, I would welcome your call. 801-331-8113. Am I being too harsh? Is it is it unreasonable to call out the media for saying things like, the populace prepares to face its most difficult and saddest week of its lives? Um, and and I, I don't think it's, it's harsh to call them out at all. I think that is just blatant, emotional pandering. And, and it, I'll tell you why it offends me a little bit. Now, I choose to be offended, but in this case, I'm, I'm going to stick with my decision. One of my dearest friends in the world last week went through what I think could safely be called the saddest and most difficult week of his life. His whole family did. I'm not going into details, but when I tell you, um, in, the, in terms of sad events, if it was measured on the Richter scale, this would have been a 9.0. And it had nothing whatsoever to do with coronavirus. So to me, this is, that's just cheap emotional grandstanding when, when we're being told everyone is going to be so sad and this is going to be so horrible. And that's not to diminish the tragedy. Look, there are people who are dying of coronavirus. And for their families, for the people who are directly involved, that is indeed a tragedy. As it is any time a life is cut short. I don't agree with the idea that, that media should be out there pandering and trying to, to play and fan those flames and, and, and coach us and direct us as to this is what you should be feeling. Because there are scared people out there who latch onto it. And then they become these, these little heel clickers that want to call people in because I looked out and this was the third time this person left their house today. I don't get it. I don't get the mentality. And it's not just, you know, it's not just the tattletales, you know, that that's bad enough. The what do they call the obedience signalers? That's a new phrase I'm adding to my lexicon. Virtue signalers. Yeah, those were tough enough to deal with. Right. All the social justice warriors out there, virtue signaling how how much they care. And you should care, too, if you want to be a good person. Now we've got the obedience signalers out there. And and I don't know how they did it. They make the virtue signalers and the social justice warriors actually seem fairly reasonable by comparison. Matt Walsh had a great piece on the Daily Wire. We have become a police state and none of us should be OK with that. 
I want to share with you a couple of his observations here because I think he I think he's on the money. He talks about how on Saturday police in Kansas City, quote, intervened to shut down a parade of elementary school teachers. We had one of these come through our neighborhood last Friday. And it was actually a lot of fun. My kids were there to wave and and to uh, to say hi to their teachers whom they haven't seen for weeks. Now, in the case of uh, Kansas City, it was the staff at John Fisk Elementary School who decided to organize the parade as a way to boost the morale of the students and to encourage them in their new distance learning adventure. Because let's face it, this has been a big adjustment, right? All the teachers and administrators were in their own cars. They weren't going door to door, shaking hands and handing out bags of popcorn. There was literally no chance whatsoever of any virus being transmitted from car to car. But a spokesperson for the police later explained, uh, the illicit gathering was descended upon by law enforcement because the celebration of learning was not necessary or essential. <laughs> As determined by, by some government functionary. Two days before the Kansas City community was saved from the threat of cheerful elementary school teachers waving to their children from sedans, police in Malibu arrested a man who was caught paddleboarding in the ocean. Two boats and three additional deputies in vehicles were called out to the scene of the non-essential joyride. And Matt Walsh asks, how could a man out by himself in the Pacific possibly contract or spread the coronavirus? Nobody knows, but click. Orders are orders, after all. So the man was pulled out of the ocean and hauled away in handcuffs. Not far from this harrowing scene, the San Diego Sheriff's Department was giving out citations to people who'd committed the nefarious crime of watching the sunset on the beach. And about the same time, over on the East Coast, Pennsylvania State Police were pulling over and ticketing a woman who, according to the citation, was going for a drive. Now, you might think that going for a drive when you've been locked in your home for three weeks is indeed a rather essential activity. And you might think that there's essentially zero risk of contracting or transmitting the virus when you drive along a country road in the rural county of York, Pennsylvania. But none of that matters. The politicians have spoken. You may leave your home only for the reasons that they decree. A woman in Minnesota was recently pulled over and ticketed for two offenses. First, driving with a canceled license. All right, which seems fair, at least to Matt, Matt uh, Walsh. But second, for violating her state's stay-at-home order. She said she had gone to Taco Bell and before that had visited her storage unit. Why should one be essential and not the other? Who knows, Matt says. That's up for politicians to decide. The point is, you can't just go out and move around as you please. What do you think this is, a free country? And in other officials in other parts of the nation have now banned essential retailers from selling non-essential items like mosquito repellent. He says, I suppose the prevention of West Nile and malaria are no longer considered essential. The mayor of Port Isabel, Texas, has decided that for whatever reason, residents may not travel with more than two people in their vehicles. Really, what if you're a single parent with two kids? Well, sorry, one of your kids is out of luck. It's not clear how this rule will be enforced, but some states have made that easier on themselves by setting up checkpoints to stop and question every car that passes through. So a driver from New York who gets caught in Florida might face 60 days in jail. And Matt Wall says I should stop here to remind you that Florida and New York are places in the United States of America, not Soviet Russia. Meanwhile, protesters outside of abortion clinics in California and North Carolina have been arrested for violating their state's stay-at-home orders. Despite the fact that they were following the protocols of social distancing, 
not to mention that obscure legal artifact known as the First Amendment. But that First Amendment, of course, has been officially neutralized as multiple pastors arrested for holding worship services have found out. All of this may seem quite oppressive and Gestapo-ish, but a police chief in Colorado put those worries aside by explaining the act of leaving your house and going outside is not a right, but a privilege that can be revoked if it is misused. A prosecutor in Ohio exploding in a fit of rage during a radio interview said that those who defy his state's stay-at-home order are committing felonious assault. And if you're guilty of that, you can sit your butt in jail, sit there and kill yourself. Oh, my gosh. As Matt Wall says, uh, I remind you again, this is the United States of America, or at least it used to be. Apologists for our newly established police state will tell me states and localities have the authority to impose restrictions in an emergency. Well, that may be true, but the question of how far their authority actually goes is complicated. And in this case, it's made even more complicated by the fact that these stay-at-home orders in many cases are not based on a current medical emergency in the respective state, but on models forecasting the possibility of an emergency in the future. My goodness, why don't they do this for global warming then? Ooh, let's not give them that idea. All right, let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Is that me? That is you. Oh, thank you, Brian. I appreciate you taking my call. Now, now can we broaden our, our look at this? Um, you know, especially in America, you know, where we value freedom and liberty. It, you know, um, instead of having people rule over us, we make our own choices. We decide. And then we're responsible for the decisions. I mean, a lot of times leaders will make bad decisions and they don't want to be responsible. But, you know, when we're talking about agency, you know, limiting our power of independent action and choice. You know, so, um, you know, the agency's ability of independent action, you know, or to exercise power. So we want to have the power within us instead of giving it totally over to our leaders. We want them to have limited power. You know, so the ability to learn from bad decisions, like with this coronavirus, you know, but also, say, like Nancy Pelosi, what she's been doing to President Trump for the last three and a half years. And it's important for us to learn from our bad choices, because if we don't correct our bad choices, then we suffer the consequences. And a lot of times people say, well, now there's consequences, now I'm a victim. But wait a minute, if we don't take responsibility for our bad choices and correct them, you know, um, it's like if we don't correct our bad choices, we limit our ability to see clearly, and we become weakened in making good choices. I I mean, No, that makes sense. That actually makes sense. So, so Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi—they're so stuck in their ideology that that, um, that that now their choices are limited. They're limited not to see the whole picture clearly, and they're stuck. They—they've they, lost their own freedom, their own agency in being. Instead of saying, "Oh, I made a bad decision," actually, Trump is doing good for our country. Well, I have to agree that. Uh they're, they're making their bed. They're going to get to lie in it. One thing I am grateful for all of the, uh, you know, coronavirus crisis 
is it's helped to put politics into more of its proper perspective. And here we go. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. 801-331-8113. Brian, you seem a little worked up today. I am. And, and I, I'm worked up because what I see happening here is we have granted in some in some bizarre accident, we appear to have granted government the power to seize near total control on the basis of any real or imagined threat. And that's the thing that really causes me concern, because I don't think I don't know that once that genie's totally out of the bottle, I don't know that you can get it back in. As Matt Walsh asks, if projected emergencies can justify the effective nullification of the limits on government power or the Bill of Rights, where is the limit? And this isn't even, you know, addressing the problem. Are these lockdowns actually saving lives? I mean, it's possible. As Dr. Fauci has admitted himself that that virus could come roaring back to life whenever we emerge from our homes. And it's also possible that the illness came to America back in November, December or January aboard any of the hundreds of thousands of travelers from China who poured into our country during that time span. And if that's the case, well, then the viral horse has long since left the barn. And these lockdowns are obliterating our national economy and driving millions of people into ruin for minimal preventative gain. So then we have this series of indefinite stay-at-home orders based on dubious models and dubious projections with a dubious chance of success and which often outlaw behavior that would not even plausibly put anyone at risk from a disease that may or may not or maybe already has become epidemic in the states where these laws have been enacted. And, I, and he asks the question, is that good enough to justify treating Americans like subjects in a communist dictatorship? Here's the kicker. We cannot allow something like this to go unchallenged. You can't allow fear to prevent you from saying this is wrong. I like how Matt Walsh sums this up. He says, I'm not suggesting state government should do nothing in response to the coronavirus. He says, I'm suggesting they shouldn't have the power to do whatever the hell they want, for whatever reason they want, to whatever extent they want, for however long they want, with whatever penalty they want which is what's happening now all over the country. Governments can and should act justly and prudently to respond to threats that endanger their citizens' lives. But he says there's little in the way of justice and prudence in these measures. Let's go back to the phone caller. Welcome to the show. Miss Gary, how are you doing? Hey, Gary. I'm well. Well, I, I had to cancel the morning drip because I can't stand uh, their lies and and the stuff they report. But the thing that worries me is uh, not so much the media, is as the friends and relatives who are on board with all this and uh, stay at home and uh, whatever they tell you to do. If Trump doesn't like it, they're on board with it. Anything that Trump doesn't like, they're on board with. So that's what concerns me the most. And uh, it's been annoying the last little while, but last couple days it's really it's really got to be concerning so thank you much okay thanks for your call there's there's another great question which needs to be asked 
and Mike Meharry writing for, uh, this is published on shiftgold.com, but I believe Mike writes for the uh, 10th Amendment Center. And that, the question is, what is the exit strategy? Okay, we're in the situation that we're in. I think most of us would agree. Uh, didn't see this coming. A month ago, we would have thought, oh, this, this would have been an impossibility. But what is the exit strategy? As Mike Meharry says, as the coronavirus lockdown drags on and governments at every level enact more and more draconian measures, we need to know, what are we going to do to get out of this? Because clearly, he says, we can't go on like this forever. He says, the dirty little secret is that COVID-19 isn't going to just go away. There will always be a risk of catching the virus. Trump health advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci says the world may never get back to, quote, normal, even if scientists find an effective vaccine. He said gradually we'll be able to function as a society, but you're absolutely right. If you want to get to pre-coronavirus, that might not ever happen in the sense that the threat is there. So are we going to lock down the entire world every time virus cases surge? And if so, at what cost? Now, that's another key question policymakers have completely ignored. Every decision comes with costs and benefits. A good decision maker balances both. But Mike Meharry nails it when he says politicians are not good decision makers. They've rushed headlong into shutting down the entire economy with virtually no consideration of the ramifications. And the economy is life-sustaining. Somebody needs to step up and count the cost. But he says it almost seems as if people don't believe this massive intervention into the economy and the very fabric of society itself will have any long-lasting ramifications. We live in a strange world where government officials tell us we must sacrifice, but they promise we'll feel no pain. People still seem to believe that President Trump will snap his fingers one day and the economy will just roar back to life. To which Meharry says, that's not going to happen. The economy isn't a race car. It doesn't stop and start on a dime. It's more like a long freight train. It will take months for it to get rolling again. This would be true even under normal economic circumstances. And if we didn't have normal economic circumstances, and we didn't have rather normal economic circumstances before COVID-19 reared its ugly head. The economy, the economy was a big, fat, ugly bubble blown up by Federal Reserve monetary policy. It was already showing cracks long before the coronavirus lockdown. The Fed was already engaged in extraordinary monetary policy before coronavirus. We had three interest rate cuts in 2019. We also had repo operations and the quantitative easing they dared not call quantitative easing last year. The coronavirus popped the bubble. Most people continue to stare at the pin even as the bubble deflates in the background. Meanwhile... The Fed doubled down, and it's put the policies that blew up the ugly bubble on hyperdrive in a desperate gamble that they can reinflate it. In just the last two weeks, the central bank expanded its balance sheet by $1.14 trillion. The total size of the Fed's balance sheet now stands at $5.812 trillion, rather, to $1.296 trillion, bigger than it was at its previous peak in 2015. And he says, we've only begun to see the impact of this massive monetary stimulus program. So what's the Federal Reserve's exit strategy? How will the Fed ever shrink its massive balance sheet? Now think back, it couldn't do it after the 2008 financial crisis. What makes anyone think it can do it this time around? 
As the crisis unfolded in 2008, the pundits all insisted that the extraordinary monetary policy was temporary. They swore the Fed had an exit strategy. The day the central banks took rates to zero in December 2008, most of the mainstream pundits insisted that it was temporary. Former Federal Reserve Governor Wayne Angel was on CNBC that day, insisting the Fed is taking action that it needs to take and that Bernanke will not be a Greenspan who will leave the ease on too long. He didn't say what the exit strategy was, but he insisted there was one. Well, when the Fed launched quantitative easing, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke himself swore that the central bank had an exit strategy. In fact, he told Congress the difference between debt monetization and the Fed's policy was that the central bank was not providing a permanent source of financing. He said the Treasury bonds would only remain on the Fed's balance sheet temporarily. And he assured Congress that once the crisis was over, the Federal Reserve would sell the bonds it bought during the emergency. But there was no exit strategy then. And there isn't one now. This time, we don't even hear anybody considering an exit strategy or the lack thereof. There are so many questions that aren't even being asked, much less answered. Mike Meharry says, how will business and individuals taking out all these loans ever pay them back? How much will the massive federal budget deficit drag down future economic growth? How will all of the borrowing impact the bond markets? Are we all going to wear masks every time we go outside forever? What happens to the stock market when the Fed starts trying to raise rates and shrink the balance sheet? How will social distancing impact society over the long term? How will all of the debtors survive if and when the Fed tries to normalize interest rates? How many businesses that governments forced to shut down will never reopen? Who will hire the millions of unemployed? How many people on the margins will be pushed into poverty? Will all of this money printing crash the dollar? How many temporary government powers seized during this crisis will never go away? How long will the extraordinary monetary and fiscal stimulus last? And he reiterates one last time, and for God's sake, what is the exit strategy? I'll have the link to this posted with the show notes when I put this up for podcast in just a little bit. Look, I don't have the answers here. But I can guarantee you that the one thing we cannot do is turn a blind eye to the power grab that's taking place right now. Even if you don't want to live as a free person, maybe you owe something to your kids and your grandkids to give them the option of living as free individuals. That's not going to be a possibility if we allow this precedent to stand that anytime government says boogeyman, it can seize whatever power it wants. It's a very, very bad idea. 